Good morning, good morning. Good morning. I want to take this time to welcome you all to the Village Church. It's very good to see everyone this morning. I also would like to go over the announcements. Um, well, welcome to the Village Church, where we are mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. If you are a guest today, welcome. There are guests information cards located just outside the sanctuary door in the narthex. Please fill out please fill out and drop in the basket. We look forward to connecting with you. Our senior pastor, Reverend Alex Shipman, continues his sabbatical. If you have questions or concerns, please contact the elders. Reminder, the nursery is, is open today. Thanks to all who volunteered to work at the nursery and those who will be helping with our media sound team. Your intentional service contri contrib contributes to the health and the well-being of the Village Church. As Pastor Alex told us, in the mission possible. No one can contribute to everything, but everyone needs to contribute to something. At the Village Church, we believe that the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. You may give, the, give to the vision and the mission of the church by using our link on our webpage, www.intothevillage.net forward slash give. Or you can mail a check to our address, 2103 Virginia Boulevard, Huntsville, Alabama, 35811. Or after service, dropping your offering in, in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. We also have uh, on October the 6th, our first, our first Wednesday corporate prayer at 6 p.m. On October the 10th, we, we have no into the village class due to fall break. And do we also had an add-in with the deacon training, which will be October the 17th at 6 o'clock. I'm going to repeat it again. The deacon training is on October the 17th at 6 o'clock. Um, also, we have a save to date for November the 14th. We'll be celebrating our church anniversary. More details will be announced later on. Thank you all for your time. Good morning. I pray all is well with you. Um, I'm going to be honest. It's been a crazy mo morning <laughs> for uh, for our uh, music and ministry team today, and um, it's one of those things where one of those moments where you have to just kind of go okay Lord now you know it's, it's a Pastor Alex moment of okay we say these things but do we believe them it was that kind of thing like okay like we're singing here are the things that we're singing do we believe them and um, we do indeed and not only do we believe them can we encourage one another to love and good works in the midst of things not going right um, so I I assume though that um, not that everyone had a crazy morning. Maybe you came, you ran in here with uh, the joy of the Lord on your mind. 
But sometimes um, mornings can be chaotic. Sometimes weeks can be a little off. And um, we just don't know, right? We just don't know. Lord, and you're saying to yourself, or your soul is saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Um, that's one of my favorite lines. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so what we want to do is just take some time to just sit and pause and really prepare our hearts for worship. I know the worship guide says that we've got this song of preparation. But, like, honestly, you might not be ready to sing. You may not be there yet, and that's okay. We want to just take a few moments, though, um, to prepare our hearts. And you can do that wherever you are and take whatever worship posture is best for you. Maybe you need to sit. Maybe you need to get on your knees. Whatever you need to do in prayer this morning, you maybe you didn't want to just stand and raise your hands to the Lord. Whatever you need to do. Um, and while we're doing that, you will hear me um, just reading some scripture so that we are all on one accord about why we're here today. We don't... Um, we don't want to be a people that just do the thing and just check the box and say, we did it. Okay, yay, check, I'm done. On to, <laughs> on to football. We don't want to be that. We want to be a congregation that the word of the Lord goes mighty in this place and that our hearts and minds are changed when we come in here, when we see him. And when we're, if we're having trouble seeing him, that we can cry out and be like, Lord, I'm, I'm having a hard time today. Help me see you. So we're going to take a few moments to do that this morning. And, and I want to make that more of our practice, that we don't just rush through this thing, that we celebrate Jesus and that we can encourage one another at the same time. So just take a few moments right where you are and have a chat with the Lord. my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. In my distress, I call to the Lord. I cry to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. 
my cry came before him into his ears. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord, today because you care for me in such a special way. That's why I praise you. I lift you up and I magnify your name. That's why my heart is filled with praise. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord, today. Because you care for me in such a special way. That's why I praise you. I lift you up and I magnify your name. That's why my heart is filled with praise. My heart, my mind, my heart, my mind, my soul belongs to you. You paid the price. You paid the price for me. Way back on Calvary, that's why I praise you. I lift you up and I magnify your name. That's why my heart is filled with praise. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord, today, because you care for me in such a special way. That's why I praise you. I lift you up and I magnify your name. That's why my heart is filled with praise. Oh, baby. 
scriptures come from Matthew chapter 26. So if you have a a copy of the the Bible, please open it to Matthew 26. And I will read from verse 47 through 68. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? 
And at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day by day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be, uh, might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following them at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At least two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You, correction, you have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face, and they struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it, who is it that struck you? And this ends the reading of the first reading of the scriptures. Thank you. to a time of confession of sin. And after that reading, it should make us all pause and realize uh, the disciples fled. We've done that this week. We haven't lived up to the commitment we've made to Christ. But by His grace, we can come and ask for forgiveness. We can confess our sin. Uh, we would, we would, if we'd have been there, we probably would have done the same thing. We think we wouldn't, but we probably would have, because we're all sinners. But praise God for His grace. Um, let me read Psalm 5 4 before we go to the time of silent confession. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Let's go ahead and spend some time in silent confession of sins of omission, sins of commission this past week.
Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you. You said if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Amen. Now, here are the assurance of pardon from Psalm 5, verses 11 and 12. This is assurance of pardon and a promise. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Continue to praise God as our shield. Jehovah, ruler of everything. 
Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You, you also were with Jesus in the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out into the entrance, another servant girl saw him and said to to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too were one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, 
before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Continue on to chapter 27. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, uh, thank you that you are the great Jehovah, uh, the ruler over everything. You're our defender. And, Father, we can rest in those truths. We can rest in that reality. Uh, That should be a source of peace to us. You're in control. Uh, And not just when things are going well in our lives and everything is as we would desire but even in the midst of trials and challenges. Thank you for that. And, Father, on that note of your sovereignty, uh, you have promised that when your word goes forth, there's a purpose behind it. And you have promised to accomplish that purpose, that your word would not return void. So, Father, we pray that. We claim that promise as your word has been read this morning. And, Father, I pray that you be with my brother Amos as he opens up that word, Father, that he would be a conduit of your word, a conduit of your grace, of your wisdom, of your mercy. Father, you'd speak through him. Father, you know the needs, you know the issues, you know the garbage, you know the good things in our lives, and you know the word that we need to hear this morning. So, Father, I pray that uh, you would speak through Amos. Thank you for the investment of time he's put in this past week in preparing for this moment. But, Father, even as he's prepared that, Father, I pray that there's something there that he needs to change, uh, that you guide him in that. And, Father, that uh, when we leave here a little bit later this morning, we would be different people, that we would have caught a glimpse of you that's new and fresh, that we would grow in our love for you, Thank you, Father, in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. I 
the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It is a beautiful day today. I thank God for the rain and I thank God for you all being here this morning. I want to thank uh, Dennis and thank Steve uh, for reading this quite long passage of scripture um, thank you for bringing out you know the, the points of emphasis in the in the passage Steve I can see some of your theater background coming out as you read and I appreciated that uh, because there is an art to reading the scriptures well uh, many of you may know that uh, most of the scriptures uh, were meant to be read aloud in the presence of the saints uh, as letters and as songs, uh, such as the Psalm, the Book of Psalms, and so it's always good when uh, people read the scriptures and they take them very seriously as they're reading. Uh, let's go to our Lord in uh, another prayer. You can never pray too much and ask Him to, to continue to bless our time together. Father in heaven, thank you that uh, you have brought us all here today, and I pray that you would speak, Lord. Speak, Lord. Speak, O Lord, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and in the name of the Son, we pray that you would speak, O Lord. Amen. Excuse my poor uh, pronunciation of the Latin, but et tu brute. You too, Brutus? These are the last words that William Shakespeare places on the lips of Julius Caesar as he is stabbed in the back by Marcus Junius Brutus and assassinated by a group of co-conspirators. In his theatrical production called The Tragedy of Julius Caesar, William Shakespeare depicts Brutus as a close friend of Julius Caesar, who played an instrumental role in the betrayal and assassination of this Roman Caesar. Now, although uh, William Shakespeare likely took some creative license in his depiction of the events surrounding the assassination of Julius Caesar, this remains one of the most famous betrayals in history. It is from uh, this betrayal of Julius Caesar that we get the phrase backstabber. My brothers and sisters, there are few things as devastating as being betrayed. Have you, my brothers and sisters, have you ever given your heart to someone and then that same someone turned around and betrayed your trust? It's hard to recover from that type of betrayal. It's difficult to come back from broken trust. There are relationships, perhaps even in this room today, that continue to suffer to this day because of betrayal. Now, before we go any further, I want to pause and parenthetically parenthetically encourage you, my brothers and sisters, that there is someone who won't betray you. There is one who will not and cannot break trust. 
because to do so is outside of his very nature. It is outside of his character because our God is a covenant keeping God who always keeps his covenant. And if everything else fails, if everybody else fails, God won't fail you. He cannot fail you. Because even in our moments of weakness, our God remains faithful. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And our passage today demonstrates to us that Jesus knows better than anybody else, even better than Julius Caesar, what it means to be betrayed. Our passage today will show us how the Lord Jesus enters the brokenness of this world for the glory of God and for our good. But these verses also also show us how the Lord Jesus subjected himself to being treated like a criminal by criminals in order to make criminals free. Y'all missed that. That was your opportunity to say amen right there. Our text today shows us that the Lord Jesus subjected himself to being treated like a criminal by criminals to set and make criminals free. My brothers and sisters, the just judge of the entire universe subjected himself to injustice in order to secure eternal justice for those who did not deserve justice. I felt my help on that. I want to say it again. The just judge subjected himself to injustice in order to secure eternal justice for those of us who did not deserve justice. The passage today begins in sort of a cold open fashion. If you know what a cold open is, it's it's when you're watching a movie and it starts right in the middle of the action and you have no context. But thanks to Reverend Adam Tisdale, who did a great job preaching the preceding verses last week, we know that Jesus and his disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane. So when our passage begins, Jesus has just finished pouring out his heart to God the Father in prayer. And he has come to realize, as verse 45 says, that his hour is at hand. Jesus knows that within the next few days, he will drink from the cup of God's wrath for sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, was about to be made sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. So the verses preceding our passage show Jesus' resolve to submit to the Father's will whatever the cost. Jesus was now determined at all costs to get to Calvary. And so in verses 47 through 56, we see the betrayal of the Messiah. Uh, Our passage today is going to take place in three movements. First, we will see the betrayal of the Messiah. Then we will see the Messiah on trial. And then we will see the denial of the Messiah. So the betrayal of the Messiah. Verse 47 
says that while Jesus was in mid-sentence, how rude, Judas came with a crowd of thugs to apprehend our Lord Jesus. Judas is simply called the betrayer, and he betrays Jesus with a gesture that is usually meant for relational affection. Now, this kiss, there's nothing uh, awkward about it. This kiss is similar to the double-sided kiss that we see in many European and African and South American countries and in uh, those cultures. And in this context, it is a, a, a brotherly greeting that the disciples used to give their teachers. So for Judas to greet Jesus in such a way with the purpose of betraying him, for the lack of a better way of putting it, it was low down. It was messed up. It was downright shameful. Nevertheless, the Lord Jesus still greeted Judas as friend. Now, the irony is not lost on this situation. And my brothers and sisters, please pay attention for irony in our passage today because it's filled with irony. And so Judas refers to the one whom he would betray as teacher. And Jesus refers to his betrayer as friend. Jesus doesn't get angry. He doesn't try to get even. He doesn't even call Judas out of his name. He simply tells Judas, do what you came to do. And what this shows us is that our Lord Jesus was in complete control of himself, and he was also in complete control of the entire situation. My brothers and sisters, don't get it twisted. In this passage, Jesus is allowing himself to be apprehended because his mind was made up. He was going to accomplish the Father's will at all costs. So Jesus' control of this situation is displayed in verses 51 through 56. In verse 51, one of Jesus' disciples decided that he wanted to pop off and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now John's gospel tells us that this was Peter. But one of the interesting things about this entire episode is that Peter's actions didn't cause a riot to break out. All of these thugs with swords and clubs, but nobody retaliated. No one retaliated because the Lord Jesus was in control of the situation. And Jesus masterfully intervenes and diffuses the situation. The Gospel of Luke even mentions that Jesus healed the servant's ear. In the midst of All of this chaos that was going on, the Lord Jesus was still in control. In verse 52, Jesus tells his disciple to put away his sword, because if you live by the sword, you can also perish by the swords. In other words, Peter was putting himself and everyone else in danger because of the way he popped off. They only came for Jesus. But Peter is putting everybody in danger by his 
actions. Did, did you have friends like that growing up? Maybe you were that friend. <laughs> you know, pe- people who are not really about that life, but they always talk smack because they know somebody else had their back, right? Well, Jesus basically tells his disciple, whom we know is Peter, watch out, Peter. I got this. Because there was nothing happening in this situation that the Lord Jesus didn't want to happen. In verse 53, Jesus says at any moment he could have called 12,000 legions of angels. Now, estimates for 12 legions is anywhere from 72,000 to 144,000. So Jesus was explaining to his disciple that he had more than enough power to escape if he wanted to. But again, that was not what Jesus wanted to do. Jesus wanted to fulfill the Father's will. And so in verse 56, when the disciples realized that Jesus was going to allow himself to be apprehended, because, check this, the, the, the disciples knew the great power that Jesus had. And so they probably were expecting Jesus to blind the crowd and, you know, finagle his way through. But once they understood and realized that Jesus was going to allow himself to be apprehended, they were filled with fear and they and they abandoned the Lord Jesus. And now verses 57 through 68 moving along show us the most important court case in history. I'm talking bigger than O.J., In verses 57 through 68, we see the Messiah on trial. The Lord Jesus, who is the just judge, subjected himself to prosecution by criminals. Jesus was taken before a kangaroo court where his guilt was a foregone conclusion. The chief priests and elders had already made up in their minds that Jesus was guilty long before he was apprehended. And I want to interject something parenthetically again here and say if you, if you think that injustice in the judicial system began with the judicial system here in the United States of America, you are woefully mistaken. Judicial injustice has always been an issue because when corrupt officials have judicial authority, they are prone to make corrupt decisions. That one was for free. But unlike many victims who have suffered injustice at the hands of corrupt officials and broken judicial systems, Jesus was not merely a victim. Listen to how St. Augustine puts it. He alone, and y'all excuse me if I mess up on some of these words, some of these words because Augustine was deep. (laughs) He alone, free among the dead, that had power to lay down his life and power to take it again, For us, he was unto thee both victor and victim. And the victor as being the victim, for us, was he unto thee both priest and sacrifice. That was a lot. So listen to John Calvin. In fine, the only end which the scripture uniformly assigns for the Son of God, voluntarily assigns for the Son of God, even receiving it as a command from the Father, is that he might propitiate the Father to to us 
by becoming a victim. Four, were not Christ a victim, we could have no sure conviction of his being our substitute ransom and propitiation. So my brothers and sisters, Jesus was a victim in the sense that he was a real man who suffered a real injustice and who died a brutal and painful death. But to say that Jesus was merely a victim flies in the face of his purpose and will. And will. John, uh, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 18, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. So my brothers and sisters, don't get it twisted. Jesus gladly willingly and joyfully laid down his life for his bride because he knew he was securing something eternal on her behalf. Jesus was simultaneously a victim, but more than that, he was the victor. In this passage, we see Jesus before this kangaroo court. And there were several rabbinic traditions, rabbinic, rabbinic traditional laws that were broken by the scribes and the elders. For one, it was unlawful in the rabbinic traditional uh, law to hold court at night. But not only were these scribes and elders breaking their rabbinic traditions, they were also breaking the very law of God. See, verse 59 says, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. Excuse me. Catch the irony here. Because these next few verses are steeped in irony. Corrupt judges were passing corrupt judgment on the righteous judge. This council, which included the high priest, scribes, and elders, sought to bring false testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death. Again, catch the irony here. Because the elite keepers of the law were breaking the law, the law of God, that commands them not to bear false testimony. If you know your Ten Commandments, then you know where that comes from. So these... So-called keepers of the law were proving Jesus's indictment from Matthew 23 verses 27 through 28 to be true. When Jesus said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. They were looking for any reason to convict the Lord Jesus. And in verse 63, the high priest finally asked Jesus by oath if Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. Something very peculiar happens here. Jesus remained silent as all of the false accusations were hurled at him. But as soon as the truth came to bear on the situation, 
our Lord Jesus was compelled to speak boldly. And so in verse 64, Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, Jesus's words may not seem all that controversial to you, but don't miss what Jesus is doing, what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is not only declaring himself to be the Messiah, the one who would de- deliver uh, the, the people of Israel, but he is declaring that he is the son of God in a distinct and unique way that places him on the same level as Yahweh himself. So if anyone ever tells you that Jesus didn't think he was God in the flesh, point him to this verse. So when it came down to it, Jesus could not deny who he knew himself to be. Jesus is the eternal word of God who was there in the beginning with God and who was God. Jesus is the word made flesh. All things were made by him. And the irony here is that Jesus was not condemned for lying. He was condemned for telling the truth. So the high priest knew that Jesus was claiming what what Jesus was claiming because it's evident in how he reacted by uh, ripping his clothes, which actually in the Levitical law uh, was something that the high priest was never supposed to do. And the high priest uh, knew that Jesus was claiming to be, could not understand that Jesus was claiming uh, to be God was true because he was blind to the purpose of God and he perceived Jesus's words as blasphemy. This council now had all it needed to put Jesus to death. And in verse 67, they begin to physically abuse and assault Jesus. But I want you to notice the transition from verse 68 to verse to verses 69 through 75. In verse 68, the council is mocking Jesus telling him to prophesy who it was who struck him. Now, the purpose of their taunting was to prove to themselves that Jesus was no prophet at all. But as we transition to verses 69 through 75, we are reminded, to, we are reminded of Jesus' words to Peter. And in verses 69 through 75, we see the Messiah denied. The Messiah denied by Peter. So Jesus told Peter in Matthew 26, verse 34, that before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And the words of Jesus are about to come true in these verses, which will vindicate him as a true prophet. In these verses, Peter denies the Lord Jesus three times. And in doing so, each denial increases in intensity. The first denial is simply an, an, an avoidance of the question. Uh, let's read verses 68 through 70. 69 through 70. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, 
I do not know what you mean. And so his first instinct was to just simply avoid the situation. But then we see the second denial. And in the second denial, Peter added an oath, which means that Peter likely declared by God that he did not know who Jesus was. Look at verses 71 through 72. And when he went out the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. I do not know this man. Now, the third oath, the third denial, adds a curse and swearing, which means that Peter went as far as asking God for something bad to happen to him if he wasn't telling the truth. Let's look at verses 73 and 74b, 74a, excuse me. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man. Catch what's happening here. Peter was willing to ask God to curse him in order to avoid association with Jesus. Again, catch the irony here. Peter in this moment would rather have dealt with God's punishment than to deal, to, than to deal with his fear of people. He would rather suffer God's punishment than to deal with the fear of man. And now, my brothers and sisters, before any of us get puffed up, we probably would have done the same thing. And as a matter of fact, a lot of us do the same thing today. A lot of us would rather be liked by the culture than to stand with Christ. We would rather tow political party lines than to call people to faith and repentance in light of the truth of the gospel. Can I tell you, friends, that this is the same thing as denying Christ. And so verses 74b through 75 show us the fulfillment of Jesus' words back uh, earlier in chapter 26. And Peter's response when he realized that, that what Jesus had told him would come to pass. Let's look at 74b through 75. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter was convicted by what he had done. And Peter's response leads us directly into Judas's response in chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. In chapter 27, 1 through 10, we notice a subtle but important distinction between Peter and Judas. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 27, Jesus is taken before Pilate to be put to death. And once Judas realizes that Jesus was going to be put to death, verse 3 tells us about Judas that he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver 
to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But Judas was rejected by the high priests, who again had no intention of giving Jesus a fair shake because their minds were already made up. They just wanted to be rid of the Jesus problem. But little did they know that with their false conviction of the righteous judge, they were about to help Jesus and his disciples spread his fame and the truth of his gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And verse 5 shows us Judas's response over against Peter's response. Now, for granted, uh, uh, neither of their responses was ideal, but they are meant to be contrasted with one another. Verse 5 says that Judas was so filled with sorrow and regret for betraying Jesus that he went and hanged himself. Now, I do, again, want to pause parenthetically and say that suicide doesn't necessarily mean that a person does not have faith in Jesus Christ. And so if anyone here struggles with suicidal thoughts, I want to plead with you in this moment to seek help. Go see a doctor, go see a counselor or a therapist, and also allow yourself to be healed through the work of the Spirit of God. And please know that the arms of your brothers and sisters in Christ are open wide for you. If you're having those types of, of thoughts, please come and come and talk to me or talk to another one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. We would love to walk alongside you to pursue your health in Christ. Again, suicide does not necessarily prove that you do not have faith in Christ. But in our text, Judas's suicide is meant to show that he did, he did not belong to Christ. And so this is the, the distinction between Peter and Judas. Although Peter denied Jesus, he ultimately remained in the faith. I believe one of the only reasons that Matthew and the other gospel writers and the other biblical writers left Peter's mistakes in the text is because he, came, he became a picture for true repentance and true Christian progress. But the contrast between Peter and Judas shows us the difference between true repentance and only feeling sorry for yourself. Some people genuinely become convicted of their sin and are crushed by the weight of their unrighteousness before a righteous and holy God. But some people, they really aren't that sorry. They're just sorry they got caught. My brothers and sisters, don't be the latter. Confess your sins and place your faith in the risen Christ. Because Jesus was crushed at Calvary and bore the punishment for sin. And you can go to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness. Your sin is not too great that the Savior cannot save you. You're not too far gone, my brothers and sisters. And so all of these verses today should cause us to think about how we as the people of God will live in light of the pressures of this world. There will always be pressures from the world. Societal pressure, political pressure, peer pressure of covenant children from your friends at school. 
and peer pressure for adults from the people in your workplace. Our passage shows us that we will face pressure as Christians. But my brothers and sisters, will you succumb to the pressures of this world or will you lay hold to the steadfast covenant keeping God of the universe? We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear. We can be bold because the just judge of the world fights for us. We don't have to be afraid of people who will come against the church. We don't have to be afraid of politicians on the far left or the far right. We don't have to be afraid of our friends and families. We don't have to fear even persecution and oppression because God God has got us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the just judge of the entire universe. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to subject subject yourself to being treated like a criminal in order to buy back salvation for those who were not your friends but your enemies. So, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today who has not received Christ, if there is someone who will hear this message who has not received Christ, I pray that the Spirit would begin a work in their hearts. Lord, grant us all faith and repentance. God, I thank you that you are not merely a victim, but you are victorious. And you allow us as your children to partake in your victory. So, God, we celebrate you. We thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory and honor. It is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. Please stand with us.
and dwell among the outcasts and the poor. You came to be forsaken and died to take our curse so you could be our joy forevermore, forevermore. You are the glorious Christ, the greatest of all delight. No power is unequal, no love beyond all heights, no greater of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in grace. <laughs> 